If we're going to experience uh, the joy of Jesus Christ, it's not just going to be when we're in church on Sunday morning, right? It's got to be just part of the fabric of our life all the time. And a lot of our lives is uh, taken up with work. Whether you get a paycheck for that work or not, that, that we, have a, we have work, we have a job, we have a thing that we do, and God wants us to experience his joy even on the job. And I know some of you may be thinking, you don't know my job. You don't know the, the people I work with. You don't know the, the, the situation and the circumstances that, that I have to deal with. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know, uh, but God does know. Uh, and and we, we, we can learn. I think a lot of folks, instead of experiencing joy on the job, would probably say, I experience frustration on the job. I experience worry at work. I have anxiety. I, I, I do it because I need a paycheck. Not a lot of joy, perhaps, in it. But I, I think God wants us to have something more, more than just duty, more than just frustration and, and worry along the way. I think maybe with all of those emotions that we bring to, to work may help to explain the, the popularity of uh, some TV shows and even some comic strips, such as this guy, right? Some of you know Dilbert, right? Uh, Dilbert has been around now for uh, a couple of decades uh, plus, uh, um, has been uh, just uh, kind of poking fun at the workplace for a long, long, long time. And uh, Dilbert put it this way. He said, uh, he said, I ask for so little, and boy, do I get it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and maybe you can feel that way about your work. You ask for so little that... Sometimes that seems what you get. Dilbert has some rules of, of work. Maybe you have heard some of those rules of work. Let me, I can't read them all for sure, but let me just give you a few of those. Don't be irreplaceable. If you can't be replaced, you can't be promoted, right? Just a good rule of thumb there. If you're irreplaceable, you're not going anywhere. When you don't know what to do, walk fast and look worried. Walk fast and look worried, right? Have you seen that at your, your place of work? If you don't know what to do. If it wasn't for the last moment, nothing would get done. That's true not only in the workplace, but in a lot of areas of our life, isn't it? Here's one. Maybe you need to think about this one. Keep your boss's boss off your boss's back. Right? Keep your boss's boss off your boss's back. And then one more. Everything can be filed under miscellaneous. Everything can be filed under miscellaneous, right? Oh, some of us have that filing system uh, along the way. I think there might be a better place than the comic strips to get a word about our work or how to discover joy on the job. But I, I want you just to, just to know wherever you're at today that, that, that there are too many people, I'm convinced, that spend their almost entire work careers frustrated and dissatisfied. And I think God wants something more for us. And sometimes we think, well, the key is just to be in a different place. If I was in a different organization, worked for a different company, in a different department or different line of work, then it would be better. Occasionally I have folks say to me, you know, oh, I tell you, it must be so good to work at a church. If I could only work at a church... It would be so wonderful. 
I used to think that too. <laughs> but you still deal with stuff and people and systems. And there's frustration and all work. But I think no matter where you are, God says you can discover joy. You can discover joy on the job. And we look at the book, this letter to the Philippians, the last section of chapter 2. Last section of chapter 2, Paul is talking about two of the people that he works with, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And in Timothy and Epaphroditus, in the words that he writes to, about them here in these few verses, I think he gives us some clues, some clues as to how you and I can find joy on the job. And I want you to see, first of all, as he begins to talk about Timothy, Timothy models for us kind of this first way that we can find joy on the job, and that is take a genuine interest in others. If you want to begin to experience joy on the job, take a genuine interest in others. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot there, but I, I want you to see what, what he says about Timothy at the, at the first. He says, Timothy is different. Timothy is different from a lot of other people because a lot of other people operate primarily out of their, the mindset of their own interest. Their focus is continually on their own interest. But if you want to experience joy, you have to lean into that kind of counterintuitively. Jesus talked about when we lose our lives, we actually find it. When we kind of seek to, to save our lives, we actually end up losing it. Those who experience joy in their life don't just focus on on themselves. They take the focus off of themselves and they begin to, in the words that Paul wrote about Timothy, take a genuine interest. He's genuinely concerned for your welfare. He, he takes a genuine interest in others, but he's also interested in, in what Jesus Christ is up to. Here's what I want you to begin to think about. Wherever you work, whether it's for a paycheck or not, whether it's uh, in an office, uh, on, a, on, a, on a factory floor, whether you're in a car, all the time or operating out of your house or wherever it may be, think about what if, what if you work where you work because God sent you there? What if you work where you work, not by accident, not because you just happened to stumble into that, that career, not because you had a friend of a friend of a friend who got you that job, but you work where you work with the people you work with because God on purpose sent you there. Now you may be thinking, God, why in the world did you send me here, right? But what, what if you begin to reframe it? To begin to think, wait a minute, I'm here by God's design. I'm here by God's design. And if I'm here by God's design, yes, it's for a paycheck. Yes, it's, it's the way that, I, that I, I meet the needs of my family. But it's much, much more than that. And so I begin to ask a whole different set of questions. I don't just say, what's in it for me? Or, or what's the next uh, career step along the way? Not that those are totally illegitimate questions. But I begin to ask additional questions. 
I begin to ask questions like, God, what do you want me to do here? God, if I am here by your design, if you sent me here, what, what is it that you would have me to do here? One of our identities, one of the things that God describes us as, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, is you are an ambassador. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That's not just a part-time ambassador. That's not just a Sunday ambassador or a weekend ambassador, but all of the time. Ambassadors uh, go to a foreign land and maybe at times you feel like even where you work is a little bit of a foreign land. You say, I'm here. I am here representing the interest of Jesus Christ. I'm here to represent the interest of Jesus Christ. And so, God, what do you want me to do here? God, you're, you're at work in this situation because all of creation is yours. You're sovereign over all of creation. Every, every corporation, every, every bureaucracy, every, every government, you're sovereign over all those things. You're at work in the lives of people. God, what do you want me to do here? So I begin to take an interest in the interest of Jesus Christ, but I begin to take that genuine interest in other people. God, who do you want me to minister to here? If I'm here because God sent me here, then I begin to look at people differently. I begin to say, wait a minute, there, there are people that have needs. And I, and I was listening to the, this, this video just a moment ago, and, and I don't know if it struck you the same way, because it's the second time I've heard it now this morning, but when Jamie said, she asked the question, not so much why does this happening to me, but why doesn't somebody care? Why doesn't somebody care? Could it be? that there are people that you work with every single day that are asking that same question, that are just wondering, does anybody really care? And could it be that God sent you there, not just for your own interest, but for the interest of Jesus Christ and for the interest of others. You want to begin to experience joy in your life, begin to operate from a perspective, I'm not here by accident, but God has placed me here. Begin to ask different questions. God, what do you want to do here? What do you want me to do here? God, who do you want to minister to here? Who do you want to minister to? How do you want me to be a conduit of grace, of love, of truth into their lives? You begin to take a genuine interest in others. And as you take a genuine interest in others, you begin to find the joy factor beginning to increase in your life. But there's a second thing that Paul gives us here as he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus, and that is learn from others. Have, have the, the posture, the humility of a, of a student, of one who says, I, I can learn. I can learn from others, even, even if sometimes if I just learn from their bad example, but I learn learn from others. Timothy and Epaphroditus had this incredible privilege of learning from Paul, of learning from Paul. And you and I, it begins to enhance our joy. And we say, wait a minute, God, there's some things that not only you want to do through me, but there are some things you want to do in me. There are some things you want to teach me in this environment, and you're going to deliver those lessons oftentimes through other people. Let's continue in this letter, verse 22. But you know, 
Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So Paul is continuing to talk about Timothy. He hopes at some point to return to, to, to Philippi. But, but in the meantime, he, he's, he's talking about Timothy. They have this working relationship, Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. And in that working relationship, there are some things that happen to Timothy, and there are the same things that can happen to you and I. See, when I work with others, there are at least a couple things that Paul talked about there. The first is this, I prove myself. I prove myself. So he said, you know Timothy. Timothy has a proven worth. A proven worth. That's, that's oftentimes what happens that, that, that as in those work environments, there's, a, there's this chance to, to prove ourselves. There's a chance to, to call out giftedness and capacities and, uh, and abilities that perhaps we, we didn't know that we had. And at times, God uses other people to draw those out, to challenge us, uses people, other people to recognize things in us that we don't recognize in ourselves. Maybe at times to to, to address some things in ourselves that, that we kind of let slide or maybe we haven't even noticed is, is an issue or a problem along the way. And so we learn. We learn from our experiences. We learn from others. And in that learning and in the doing, we prove ourselves. And so there is a proven worth over time as we learn how to work with others. But not only do we prove ourselves, but we prepare ourselves. That I prepare myself when I learn from others, when I work with others. So what's going on? Paul says, at some point, I'm getting ready to send Timothy to you. But this is not the only time and in fact, is if you go back to the book of Acts, as you walk through there, you'll notice the number of times that when there was a critical mission, when there was something that had to be handled well, Paul looked to Timothy. He looked to Timothy because Timothy had now a proven worth. Paul had invested in his life. He had, he, Paul had, had poured into him and Timothy had learned from him. And so when it came to some of those crucial moments, Timothy Timothy had been prepared. He had prepared himself for this assignment. When you come to Paul writing the letters that we now know as 1st and 2nd Timothy, Timothy is in Ephesus, this is in critically important crossroads, this critically important fellowship. Who does he entrust with that critical leadership there? Timothy. Timothy had been prepared. He had been prepared. Listen, God knows how to prepare you for what he has prepared for you. He knows how to prepare you for what he has prepared for you. You and I don't know everything that's coming. We don't know what God is getting ready to, to open up. Maybe it's a challenge. Maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe it's a new or different assignment. But God knows how to get you ready for that. And he will use the work environment. He will use other people. Some of them will be great examples like Paul. Some of them may be horrible and harsh examples. But God can use all of those things if we adopt the posture of a learner. And to say, God, you are giving me the opportunity in this environment to prove myself 
and to prepare myself for what it is that you have coming into my life. Joy comes when I have that posture of a student. I'm humble enough to learn from others. I, I take a genuine interest in the concerns of others. But also Paul highlights for us the need to learn how to work well with others. To work well with others. Look at verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to of I need. Now listen, every job, every job involves relationships. Some, some much more intensely and, and a whole lot more every single day. Uh, maybe some of you, your relationships tend to be uh, more online or uh, remote or whatever it may be, but, but it always involves relationships. And if I'm going to experience joy on the job, I have to learn to work well with others. And Paul highlights some attributes here in Epaphroditus that enable us to work well with others. Quick background. Uh, that may help to kind of give some context. Epaphroditus is from Philippi. He's from this this group of Philippians that Paul is writing to. Uh, He's come to know Christ, he's a follower of Christ. Uh, They they have know Paul's imprisoned here in Rome, so they've taken up a gift. They want to minister to his needs. And they send that gift with Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus not only comes with with a physical gift, but he is part of the gift, if you will. He not only is the deliverer of it, but then he is there now to work with Paul, to minister to Paul's needs, to do things for Paul that Paul in prison can't do for himself. And in the doing of that, he gets deathly ill. He gets deathly sick, even as we'll read in just a moment, almost to the point of death. Uh, but, but he's there to serve Paul. He's there to serve on behalf of the Philippians. And in so doing, Paul kind of stacks up this, this, these words to describe how Epaphroditus has worked, how he's worked well with others. The first thing he says is he's a brother. He's the brother. And this, is, this reminds me that as I work with others, I am to bring the concern of a brother, that, that relationships really do matter. How I relate to people really does matter. And so I have to come, and it's not just this business transaction. We're not just units of, of, of business, but we are, we are people. And we begin to treat people with that, that brotherly love, that brotherly affection along the way. And he says, that's, that's how Epaphroditus operated. That's how he operated, with the concern of a brother. It goes back to taking a genuine interest in the interest of other people so that I come from a perspective of I'm going to come and say I'm going to come with a concern, not just for what you can do, but for who you are, but for who you are as a person. So he says he's a brother. But not only does he describe Epaphroditus as a brother, but he says he is also a fellow worker, a fellow worker. This is the effort of a laborer, the effort of a laborer that this is somebody who works well because he shows up and he actually goes to work. You want to work well with others, do your work well, right? Right? 
I mean, you want to work well with others, other people need to know you're going to do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. You're going to do your work with excellence. And so as we think about these two, we need to understand that both matter, uh, results and relationships. Results and relationships, they both matter when it comes to working well with others. And maybe you've known people, maybe you tend toward one extreme or the other, that they, maybe they do one of these well. They, they crank out the work. But man, they, they just, they, you, don't, you don't feel any love, Right? On the other hand, maybe you, you've worked with somebody that's, that's you know, they, they, they're the nicest person. They, they, they relate. You can tell they genuinely care, but, man, they just, they don't get stuff done. And you get a little resentful because you're having to, like, carry them, right? Results and relationships both matter. Both are important when it comes to working well with others. He is a brother, He is a fellow worker. He brings the effort of a laborer. But he uses another term to describe his his work. And he says he's a fellow soldier. This is the fight of a soldier, the fight of a soldier. In life and in work relationships, there's problems. Uh, There are things that have to be attacked. There's opportunities. There's opposition. There are times when you have to have the fight of a soldier to stand up for a conviction to say, this is right. No, we're not going to compromise on that. That's not who we are. That's not how we operate. And that's part of working well with others, being a person at times who is willing to fight, who is willing to fight to tackle that problem, who is willing to fight against against this, this unfair opposition, who is willing to fight for a conviction. Epaphroditus brought all of those things to the table, and all of those things helped him to work well with others. I think the Philippians saw those same qualities in him. I think that's why he was sent, because he was that kind of a person, proven worth. And, and, and they sent him, and he displayed that work in relationship with Paul. Work well with others. Bring that to the table if you want to experience joy on the job. But as, as you think about that, also celebrate. Celebrate the contributions of others. Again, I know this may sound a little bit counterintuitive because at times we say, well, wait a minute, I want people celebrating me. I want folks to notice me. I get a little resentful when my contribution is overlooked or not appreciated along the way. If that is your focus, you're probably going to be miserable a lot of the time because I can guarantee you, you'll get overlooked sometimes. I can guarantee you that there are going to be times when your contribution is not appropriately recognized or appreciated. And if that becomes the fuggy, you'll, you'll feel some resentment and bitterness start to set in. But what if you flip that? What if you flip that and say, let me, let me 
celebrate the contribution of others. And that's really what Paul's been doing in this whole section, hadn't he? He's talking about Timothy. Now he's talking about Epaphroditus. He talks about him there as that brother, that fellow worker, that fellow soldier. Uh, There at the end of uh, uh, verse uh, 25, your messenger and minister to my need. Verse 26, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow I am more the eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He, he uses some, some very intentional words here. He uses the word your messenger. Your messenger is the word apostle. It is the word apostle. And as you think about that, you think about the Pauls and the Peters and all of those uh, figures in the scripture. Uh, but it really means the uh, sent one sent one. But he, I think, intentionally used that, that term, a term of, of perhaps even honor and recognition to say, I want to celebrate this messenger of yours. Uh, let's honor him as a sent one, sent by you, but sent by God. Remember, he, he's getting ready to send him back. And maybe there's going to be some folks on that end that are going to say, why are you back? Didn't you complete your assignment? Didn't you do? Paul is going to say, I'm going to have none of that. I'm going to honor this person. I'm going to celebrate his contribution, your messenger. He is a a minister, or some of your translations will say, take care of my needs. It's the word that we get our word liturgy from. And when you think about liturgy, you tend to think about an order of worship, an order in a worship service, or here's the liturgy that this church follows, or whatever it may be. Uh, But when you think about service, service and worship is not just done in a worship service. But worship takes place when we serve God by serving others. When we serve God by serving others. And so he he lifts him up as this, this, not only this sent one, but this person whose whose life was an act of worship as he served God by serving others, most particularly by serving Paul. And so here's Paul. He's He's just celebrating. He's honoring. He's recognizing the contribution of Epaphroditus. He's recognizing him, and in some sense, he's rewarding him by sending him back, by sending him back home because he's been carrying this anxiety for people back home, particularly those who have been worried about him and his health. And so he, he recognized his contribution, but at the same time, he, he rewarded him by sending back. But I want you to note one other thing because it talks about on the job, but it also speaks to so many areas of our life. Did you notice there in verse 30, he said he nearly died for the work of Christ. And then here's this phrase, risking his life, risking his life. I want you to know that Epaphroditus was willing to risk in obedience to the Lord. Sometimes we think joy comes when I minimize risk. 
But actually, joy flows when I walk in obedience to God. And even at times, as that seems a little bit risky along the way. Joy is not the elimination of risk. Joy is taking up risk in obedience to Christ. And so I want to challenge, maybe as some of you here this morning, and, and this may be exactly why God has you here this morning, because he's, he's been prompting in you a step of obedience and you've been hesitating because it's a little bit risky along the way. Listen, you may have to step away from your security in order to step towards your destiny. You may have to step away from your security in order to step toward your destiny. You may, you may have to, to, to give up a certain level of security and take on a certain amount of risk to be able to step into what God wants you to do. It would have been much easier and much simpler and much less complicated and much less risky for Epaphroditus to just say, I'll write a check like everybody else. But he was willing to risk, risk in obedience to God. Now, I, I tell you, as, I, as I, I put a statement like that out there, sometimes I'm kind of like, oh, God, oh, God, don't let somebody hear this wrong. Oh, God, don't let me say it wrong. Because, uh, you know, I'm always a little bit fearful that, you know, I'm going to get this, this email this week and say, thank you for that message. I've decided to leave my family and go pursue my acting career in Hollywood or something. And I was like, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. It is a risk that flows out of your obedience to Jesus Christ, that flows out of your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just about running away from something. It's running to something. I remember my dad uh, telling me, I was really wrestling with, is God calling me this thing called ministry? And and honestly, it was kind of giving up what I knew, the security of my plan and all of that, or the illusion of security. And my dad said to me, he said, son, is it just make sure in life you're always running to something and never away from something? Always running to something and not away from something. See, I, I think sometimes people risk not because they're running to the calling of God as much as they're running away from something. They're running away from frustration. They're running away from pain. They're running away from uh, difficulty. They're running away from a hard job or a hard relationship. That's not the risk we're talking about. We're talking about a risk prompted by obedience to God that might at times call you to walk away from your security so that you can step toward his calling, the destiny that he has for your life. You want to find joy in your, your work environments? Celebrate. Celebrate the contributions of others. Take a genuine interest in others. Learn how to work well with others. And have the posture of a humble student that I am able to learn from others in this environment, even as difficult as it is, might be a proving place for me and a place that's preparing me for what's next. And it may be some of you are here right now and you're thinking, okay, Jeff, that sounds really great. And if I was working with the Apostle Paul, that would be easy to do, right? But there's no apostles where I work. 
It's not easy. What do you do then? What do you do to find joy in a difficult or unsatisfying job? Well, I'm going to be real boring here. You do exactly what we just looked at. You do exactly what Paul said. Right where you are, right here, right now, you start taking that genuine interest in others. You see even that that difficult spot as a place where you can learn, a place where you can grow, where you can prove yourself and prepare yourself. You, you begin to, 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 to operate from how can I work well with others, valuing both relationships and results. And you, you, you come, come at it with that, that sense of, of, I don't know if anybody's going to recognize it, but I'm going I'm to take the lead in celebrating the contributions of others. You build on those, and then I'll just give you three phrases that kind of build on that. How do I find joy in a difficult or unsatisfying job? Recognize that it's God's will for you to do at least these three things. It is God's will for you to grow through the challenges or the difficulties. Remember, God has you there. What if you begin to think God has sent me here? I don't know if you're always going to be in that job, always be in that position. Uh, many times we move, we, we make check career changes, absolutely appropriate at different times. But while I am here, God, help me to know that it is your will for me to grow, to grow through the challenges, to grow through the difficulties, to grow even in in the midst of of some difficult policies or frustrations or people along the way to grow through the challenges and difficulties. Not only to grow, but to minister. To minister to those around you. That there are people that are perhaps going through exactly what you're going through. And they're asking, does anybody really care? And God has sent you there. And in part to minister. How can I minister to those around me? As long as God has me here, how can I minister? How can I serve? How can I be a conduit of God's love and truth and grace and mercy into their lives? Grow. Minister and witness. Witness to the difference that Jesus can make in a life. If you are frustrated, if you find it unsatisfying, there are probably a whole lot of other people who are experiencing those same things, and maybe they're going to look at you and say, you claim to be a follower of Christ. What difference does it make? What difference does it make when you're mistreated? What difference does it make when you don't get the recognition you deserve? What difference does it make when you're treated harshly? What difference does it make when the workload increases? What difference does Jesus Christ make in your life? And by the way you operate, you witness to the difference that Jesus can make in your life. Can't think about joy on the job without thinking about the way that Paul wrote about it to the Colossians. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. 
I think that may be a key. Whatever you do, whatever God has called you to do in this season of your life, whether you get a paycheck or you don't get a paycheck, whether you think you're going to be there the rest of your life or you hope you're not there two weeks from now, wherever you're at, do it all unto the Lord, not for men. I heard a story the other day about a guy who was, uh, he was retired. And he was kind of trying to find some stuff to do with his time. And so he would go to, to a mall area and he would walk for exercise. And they were doing kind of like this major kind of build and, and remodel on part of this mall. And, and, and so there was this crane operator there. And so he would, he would walk and then, then he would just go and spend a lot of time just standing and watching the work. And particularly, he started to take notice of this one crane operator. And he just thought, man, this guy works. I mean, this guy, he, he's energetic. He's hopping. He's getting it done. I don't see him taking a break. Man, he's something. And, and so, you know, week after week after week, he would just kind of show up and watch the work. And he would just marvel at this crane operator. And one day, he called him on the ground. He caught him on the ground, and they, they started talking a little bit. And he said, listen, I just, I just want you to know, man, I, I appreciate you. I, I've been watching you, and you work with such energy and such dedication. You do such a great job. And he said, listen, man, I, I tell you, I just admire that. I mean, I'm retired, but I really remind. And the guy said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're retired? I thought you were a supervisor. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> Oops. Listen, you want joy on the job? Our main motivation should not be the human eye that is upon us, but the heart that's within us. It's not the human eye that's watching, checking. That can't be our major motivation because that'll suck the joy out over time. The motivation has to be the heart that is within us. Whatever. Whatever you do, whatever work God has called you to, wherever he has placed you in pursuit of that work, do it heartily as unto the Lord. That's why C.S. Lewis said the work of a Beethoven and the work of a janitor becomes spiritual on precisely the same condition, that of being offered to God, of being done humbly as to God the Lord. And I, I look out of a sea of faces here, and I don't know what all of you do, but I know what many of you do. And there's a lot of diversity of work environments and careers and callings, giftedness, talent. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. And if you do that, it becomes spiritual. If you do that, it becomes worship. If you do that, it can be a source of joy. Many of you know we're in the process of of building a house, and that's like a whole other world and story there along the way. Fun process, but but challenging, time-consuming all of that. And one of the staples of a construction site 
is a porta john right <laughs> i mean it's just it's just there when you drive up and kind of check the progress it's kind of like there it is you know and it just looks like it looks and it smells like it smells all of those things but as i was thinking about that and kind of my regular viewings of the the porta john there i, I couldn't help but come back to one of my all-time favorite stories about work. And I, I shared it with some of you before, but I, I just felt like, you know, in honor of the port john and maybe just to drive home this, this point, I would share it with you. And it actually comes from another home's construction site. Let me just read you the story. Andy was building a new home. As often happens, his construction crew was having an awful time with their subcontractors, suppliers, and schedule. Nothing was going right. The boss was frustrated. The men were grouchy. The weather was hot and humid, smothering the men like a wet blanket. To add to the misery, the construction site's portageon reeked with odors that made the crew gag. The company that was charged with keeping it serviced hadn't been heard from for days. Suddenly... Blaring music pounded the air as a truck rolled down the street toward the site. The music seemed to fill the block with its rock beat, and everybody's attention shifted to the vehicle that slid to a stop in front of the partially completed house. They noticed that it wasn't the regular maintenance man who got out of the truck. Instead, it was a big burly guy covered with tattoos, flashing a huge smile, and singing at the top of his lungs. He greeted the entire crew with a contagious grin, grabbed his materials, and headed enthusiastically into the the odiferous disaster. Just before stepping in, he yelled across the yard that the former man had quit and that he would be taking over. Then he disappeared into that four-by-six-foot cubicle. Rumblings began inside the portageon and grew louder and louder as though he were attacking every inch of the relief station. It almost sounded like he was wrestling with a tiger in there. The construction crew suspended work temporarily, their gazes drawn to the spectacle of the portageon. A few snickered. They knew that the only thing worse than the smell of a portageon that hadn't been maintained well was the smell of cleaning that same portageon on a hot and humid day. But this guy seemed to stay inside forever. Every man on the site wondered how he could stand it and thought how quickly they would have raced in and out just to escape the stink. After a while, the crew noticed something radically different. An inviting smell drifted across the yard. Then Mr. Good-Natured finally emerged with a smile still intact. Hey, he said, the guy taking care of this wasn't doing a very good job. From here on out, I guarantee this will be the best it can possibly be because I'm here to serve you. With that, he hopped into his truck, grinned, waved, and turned on the blaring music once again and began to back out of the driveway. Dumbfounded, one man yelled across the yard, How can you do that? More important, why did you do that? Oh, it's simple, replied Mr. Good-Natured. You see, I work for the Lord. And I do every task as though I were doing it for him. See you next week. And with a smile and singing at the top of his voice, he drove away, leaving the all-struck crew with their mouths on the ground. Pun intended. I know sometimes your job stinks. All right? 
But what I know is that regardless of the circumstances, you can experience joy on the job as you work heartily, not for men, but as unto the Lord. Let's pray to him together, please. Oh, Father, thank you, thank you for the gift of work. Lord, it is part of your original design for us in the Garden of Eden, well before the fall. And Lord, like everything else in a sin-tainted, sin-scarred world, work has experienced a a distortion, and it's not not fully what uh, you intended it to be. Uh, But Father, it is still a privilege. It is still an opportunity. It is still that which you use in our lives, and you use our lives in the midst of it. And so, Father, I I just pray. I pray for myself. I I pray for every person here right now, Lord. I I just ask that whatever this season of life has for us, whatever work you have called us to do, Lord, that we would do it as unto the Lord, that we would do it pursuing joy by taking that genuine interest in others and learning from others. And, and Lord, that we we would... work well with others, valuing both results and relationships. And Father, we we would understand, we would understand that in the midst of it all, in the midst of it all, we can celebrate even the contribution of others, whether ours gets noticed or not, because we work unto you. Father, may our joy witness to the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives. And I'm just going to ask you now just to take a few moments more to continue in that kind of posture of prayer.